welcome to Voices from the Left. I'm Craig. Thanks for listening. Our quote for this episode. I am losing precious days. I am degenerating into a machine for making money. I am learning nothing in this trivial world of men. I must break away and get out into the mountains to learn the news. John Muir. This episode, I'll be speaking with Emily Park. She's the co-executive director of 350wisconsin.org. We'll be chatting about their climate justice work, including the Federal Farm Bill, the Line 5 Pipeline, and Chase Bank sit-ins, along with a few other topics. It's worth noting that 350 Wisconsin participated in the Wisconsin Justice Summit with Building Unity Wisconsin. I spoke with Tim Corden from Building Unity Wisconsin for episode two of the show. Hi, Emily. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. You bet. So let's jump right in. What is 350 Wisconsin's uh, vision and or mission? 350 Wisconsin uh, envisions a future where everybody can have an equal, fair chance at, at flourishing in a sustainable world. So everybody is able to access the food the water and the, the livable climate that they need to be able to, to live their lives. And then our, our mission is to really to change hearts and minds, policies, every, every stage of government from local up to, to federal, uh, work with communities, individuals, corporations, organizations to bring about the change that we need to see, uh, this world come, come into being. And, and how did you get involved with 350 Wisconsin? Uh, so in 2019, I was invited by a friend to uh, a potluck uh, in January of 2019 for a group that was called 350 Madison at the time. And so I came just not really knowing what to expect. I think like uh, a lot of people, I had been concerned about the climate for a long time. And I, you know, I did the usual things like recycle and you know i would attend the big big climate marches and stuff like that um but not you know not a whole lot more in depth than that so i was i was really interested to see what this this group of activists was all about um and i was really pleased that it was a very welcoming environment um you know i think something that the organization has always prided itself on is having a role for anyone whether that's a volunteer who can only give a, an hour or two a month or someone who wants to jump in and, and co-lead a team. Um, so there's, you know, ways for anybody to be involved. You don't have to be a policy expert. You don't have to be a climate scientist. It's, all you have to be is a person who is concerned about the climate. Um, so I, I first got involved via our communications team. So helping out with social media and things like that. And then also with our divestment work. Uh, so putting pressure on banks to stop funding um, fossil fuels. And then um, in 2021, there was an opportunity for me to join as staff. Uh, so I joined and uh, continued supporting the communications work and was also doing organizing for a nationwide campaign, um, putting pressure on the U.S. Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, to uh, put restrictions on how much banks could fund uh, climate climate chaos causing things like fossil fuels. Um, so I started that position in summer of 2021. And then um, just a little over a month ago, our, our 
our executive director uh, steps down. And so uh, myself, along with my coworker, Stephanie, uh, we're really excited to step up to be co-executive directors. So it's been it's been quite a trajectory for me. Uh, I also forgot to mention that somewhere along in there in the middle when I was still a volunteer, I was actually a board member for a little while too. It's excellent though, excellent. Uh, so what are uh, the current teams and or campaigns uh, working inside 350? Yeah, we like to say that we run the full spectrum of advocacy to activism, and uh, working uh, to stop the fossil fuel industry while also promoting solutions. So I guess everything is what we do. Um, on the fossil fuel resistance side, we are extremely active in the fight against Line 5. So that's the tar sands oil pipeline that runs through northern Wisconsin. And we've been involved in other tar, other tar sands pipeline fights as well. Uh, we were involved with Line 3 and a number of other pipelines that are either in Wisconsin or are near Wisconsin. Uh, and then we also, as I referred to earlier, work with divestment, so pushing fossil the, the banks behind the fossil fuel industry, pushing them to stop funding those projects. So the number one offender is Chase Bank. They uh, have put the most money into fossil fuel infrastructure since the Paris Climate Accords were signed in 2016. And um, they are the primary funder of the Line 5 pipeline and so many other fossil fuel infrastructure projects that could not happen without this massive amount of uh, funding from banks like Chase. And so we are putting pressure on banks like Chase to quite literally put their money where their mouths are. Uh, they claim to be a green bank, um, sustainable. They claim to care about their customers' futures. So uh, yeah, let, let's see that happen. Um, right. We also have our, our state policy team. Um, I think that's, uh, they primarily focus on building codes currently. Uh, as I think a lot of listeners of your podcast probably realize, the Wisconsin legislature is a challenging environment in which to be pushing for anything remotely progressive, including building codes. Um, sure. But I think the state policy team does a good job at working with what they have, uh, what pushing through the change we can achievably get now, and then also looking to the future where, you know, God willing, we will have the gerrymandered district lines um, and, you know, fair representation in the legislature. Um, and then sort of on the other end of the spectrum, we have our more solutions oriented work. So we have community climate solutions, which as the name implies are really community based things that people can do. So their their unofficial motto is think globally, but act locally. So what can you do in your household? What can you do in your neighborhood? What can your what can small businesses do? What can your neighborhood, your municipality, your county do? So smaller scale solutions that are accessible to everybody um, that can push us forward in the direction we need to be going. Um, of course, we all know that individual action, just all of us recycling our soda cans. That's not going to get us to where we need. But if everybody is taking action on a small scale, pushing for change on a larger scale, then eventually that snowball effect will take will take place and we'll get to where we need to be. Um, <clears throat> and so community climate solutions, of course, focuses on um, human communities. Uh, but we're also recognizing that there are so many climate solutions to be found uh, within within nature. So agriculture 
is a hugely powerful tool for advancing um, a healthier climate for all. And so we would like to see some of those solutions being implemented at a much larger scale in agriculture. Uh, forestry is a major part of Wisconsin's um, economy. So how can we look at forestry as a potential climate solution that also boosts the state economy? And then also things like, you know, uh, wetland remediation, other solutions like that um, that can help Wisconsinites, help our economy, and also ultimately help our planet. You've alluded to this a little bit, but what are some like specific types of actions and or events uh, your campaigns take? Um, so we do quite a few of the, uh, I guess, stereotypical climate activist things where we are hitting the streets. I like to think that we bring our own unique brand to it. Uh, we have an amazing group that we call our art collective. And, um, you know, we realize that climate work is heavy. It's daunting. Um, it can be depressing. And so our goal is to bring a sense of joy and hope and humor to it, uh, to, you know, to prevent us all from burning out. So anybody who's ever gone to the Dane County Farmer's Market in downtown Madison has probably seen a bunch of weirdos doing a skit or a dance about climate. That's us. Um, so I think it's a, it's a really great way to bring in the general public, uh, make that connection between whether it's Chase Bank or agriculture or, or what have you, and connect that to their daily lives as Wisconsinites. Um, we did have uh, some members go to the big climate march in New York City in mid-September. So we participate in those kinds of larger marches and have helped host them before. Um, we also do, you know, dip our toes into the the waters of like, you know, not quite legal work. Uh, so we, we have uh, shut down banks by um, just sitting in. So we are we are very specifically uh, into non nonviolent direct action. So we aren't destructive. Um, we don't uh, we try not to get in the way of business any more than we have to. Uh, so typically what we've done is we go into the bank we sit down. I've done this before myself. And usually what we do is we have a statement we want to make. So we will read it to the bank crowd as we're sitting there. So, you know, you over there putting depositing your check. Do you know that Chase Bank is putting your money directly into fossil fuels and the the heat wave you're feeling, um, the extreme weather, the things that are causing you physical harm are being paid for with your own money by Chase. Uh, and then, you know, we will sit there and usually we're asked to leave and uh, we decline and then the police come. Uh, but that, that's about as far as we go when it comes to nonviolent direct action. We're not we're not the kind of people who are, are doing anything destructive. Sure. And uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, um, we realize that talking to your elected officials can be daunting for a lot of people. So if there is a particular bill before the state legislature or something your city council is going to be discussing. You know, we'll, we'll put together talking points. So, you know, here are some things you might want to mention when you talk to your elected official, or here is when the meeting is, here is how to dial in, or here is a, a public comment period where you can submit a comment that the government has to take into account when they make their decisions. So really 
uplifting those opportunities for action for everybody and then making it easier for people to participate without having to feel like they need a PhD in policy or, or what have you. Um, supporting people to get involved with local committees. So whether that's like a, an advisory committee with their, their neighborhood or their city or their, their church, um, supporting, supporting that in whatever ways we can. So it's the, it's the full spectrum again of activism to advocacy. Sure. Uh, you mentioned your state policy uh, work a little bit earlier. You have a, a specific group, and I think it's even like a separate company, technically, right? That that works on that that type of stuff. Um, what specifically do they do? Do they meet with lawmakers to to bring proposals to them, or what type of work? Yeah. So our our state policy team, which is part of 350 Wisconsin. Um, I, I think I previously mentioned they mostly work on on building codes. So mm -hmm. they they have met with uh, key um, decision makers in the state uh, to talk about what kinds of building code reform might be possible in Wisconsin. Uh, we have a number of very knowledgeable volunteers who draft suggestions that they would like to see the government um, take into account. Um, we also also through the state policy team is where we will uplift options for people to submit comments to the legislature, to the government, to Department of Natural Resources, um, whomever. But uh, again, the the Wisconsin legislature is extremely difficult. Um, just this past Friday, the 29th, um, the, the state legislature was considering a uh, basically an update to Wisconsin's building codes that would put it in line with the uh, most recent set of international building code standards, which would have resulted in energy savings for everybody. Uh, it would have um, improved building efficiency standards, so providing jobs for construction. It would have been just all around a good thing for Wisconsin, and it never made it out of committee. Uh, a joint committee voted along party lines to not take up this updated set of policies. That was super disappointing, but also not so surprising. So that, I mean, that's, that is the environment that we are up against. Um, challenge. <laughs> yeah. A little while ago, we were talking to some, one of our sort of ally organizations, 350 PDX in Portland, Oregon. And Portland, Oregon managed to pass um, a, a, a city, I forget, resolution or, no, they came up with a city climate plan that was extremely ambitious and well exceeded the state of Oregon's standards for sustainability in buildings, transportation, etc. And so we were talking with the, the Portland crew about, you know, how did you do it and how could we do something like that here in, in Madison? You know, again, a, a very progressive liberal city. And the answer is we can't because the way the state legislature works, we cannot have um, building codes in Madison that are stricter than the state standard. Um, so I think some of what you talked about with your building code updates probably roll into my next question a little bit. And, and what are specifically your green building initiatives uh, that anyone, any listener, if you want to check it out, you can see it on the 350 Wisconsin website, which I'll have links to in the show notes. 
So we are kind of in the process of updating those right now. Uh, maybe I could talk about something sort of slightly related. Would that work? Sure. We are really excited about the opportunities offered by the Inflation Reduction Act, also known as IRA, uh, which was passed last year, um, the largest climate funding package that has ever been passed in the United States. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's not perfect, IRA, but it's, it's a lot better than what we had before, which was nothing. Um, and there is so much money in that, in that pot that is going to the state to support uh, overhauling electrical grids, so making them more efficient, promoting um, sustainable energy, upgrading existing buildings. So if you are um, a homeowner who lives in an older home and you want to upgrade your insulation, upgrade your windows, upgrade uh, the solar panels, there are incentives and tax breaks in, in IRA for you to do that. So making these uh, sustainable options really affordable. If you are a small business owner, uh, uh, a landlord, you know, again, you can take these steps to be a more sustainable business without necessarily having to pass those costs along to the, the renters or to your customers, which is, I know, again, a major concern for a lot of people. Um, and the concern is that if the Wisconsin state legislature or any part of the Wisconsin government makes this, makes our state seem hostile to uh, sustainable energy solutions, the federal government could very well choose to just not give us as much money. Like one thing we are concerned about is what um, utilities are thinking about doing in terms of um, solar panels. So some of the utility companies in Wisconsin would like to, to essentially um, overhaul their, their net metering program, which net metering is how um, solar panel owners can sell excess energy back to the grid. And then that money offsets the cost of the solar panel, therefore making it more affordable. And essentially, uh, a lot of utility companies want to make that much, much harder to do. And so it could be that if the federal government looks at Wisconsin and says, this is not an environment where we see wide scale solar panel adoption taking off, they could decide to yank that money. And that's, that's, that's money, that's jobs, that's opportunity, all sorts of things just lost for the state of Wisconsin. Sadly, you know, I know it's something similar happened years ago with um, with the proposed uh, train that was going to go from Madison to Milwaukee. We had federal dollars for that. That got squashed and they took the they just took the money and spent it elsewhere. So it's not definitely not unheard of for that type of thing to happen. I was just thinking about that. I'm just about to travel for a, a, a climate conference and I'm, I'm taking Amtrak. And so I have to take a bus to Chicago and then, you know, from there, a train. And I was thinking to myself, wow, how nice would it have been if I could have just taken a train the whole way? Um, but. Um, all right. So you mentioned uh, the Line 5 pipeline earlier, um, and I am specifically interested in in your work for that. Um, I have a little background and then you can you can fill it in because you probably have more background than I do about it. But so the Line 5 pipeline is a is a. Uh, tar sands fracking pipeline that runs um, from 
what is it, Western Canada through the United States in Northern Wisconsin and Michigan, um, underneath the, uh, the Mackinac Island bridge, right? Mm -hmm. Mackinac bridge. Uh, and then ends uh, somewhere in, in, uh, central Canada there. So not a great description, but, um, it's running through the bad river reservation. I know that. And, uh, there's some very real concerns that because of where it runs, and the eroding that's happening from uh, one of the rivers that goes through there, that that pipeline could very easily, you know, start leaking and or break crack and leak, you know, a, a catastrophic amount compared to just the regular leaks that happen in pipelines all the time. But I think a, an important thing to know about line five is it's part of a network of pipelines that essentially carry, essentially, carry this tar sands oil from Canada to Canada. And the reason it dips through the upper Midwest of the United States is because uh, various landowners and First Nations peoples in South Central Canada said not on our land. So Enbridge decided to come through the United States instead. So uh, I think there's a, a lot of, you know, Enbridge as, a, as an oil company, so Enbridge is the company that operates the pipeline. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of resources and they've, run a very effective campaign making people in the upper peninsula and northern Wisconsin think that they're going to freeze to death in the winter if they don't have this pipeline. That's not true. The the materials going through the pipeline are not stopping in either Wisconsin or Michigan unless it's to be transferred to a different pipeline or a truck or something. Um, yeah, so the so line five is a segment of the pipeline that goes through northern Wisconsin and Michigan. And here in Wisconsin, um, it is going through the Bad River Band's reservation, even though the band has said that they, they don't want it on their land. Uh, and where it crosses by the actual Bad River, the erosion that's happening is putting, um, putting the pipeline at risk for a, a spill. And the kind of oil that's carried in these pipelines is, is not the sort of oil that you think of when you think of like um, the Gulf Coast. It's a very thick, heavy, sticky oil it's extremely difficult and expensive to clean up. Um, Enbridge itself uh, does not have a good track record of either A, reporting its bills, or B, cleaning up after them. And so if this pipeline were to rupture uh, along the Bad River, not only would it devastate the local ecology there, it would also just essentially destroy the, the sacred wild rice that beds that the Bad River Band, um, you know, is, is their cultural heritage, um, their cultural rights. Uh, beyond that, it, of course, also impacts the entirety of Lake Superior. Uh, it impacts all sorts of delicate wetland ecosystems. And from there, because we know that, you know, nature doesn't follow humans' geographic lines, uh, it goes from Lake right. Superior to spread to the entire Great Lakes system, which is a foundational part of the Midwestern identity, a foundational part of our economy. 20% um, of the Earth's freshwater resources, <laughs> that's no small thing. So the, the implications for uh, an oil spill in the Bad River Band are catastrophic for the Bad River Band, for the Great Lakes, for, for all of us, really. And that's not even accounting for the climate effects of continuing to rely on the fossil fuels 
that are in the pipeline. That's like a whole separate can of worms. And then um, the you know the the Bad River Band has has been suing Enbridge to get the the pipeline off their lands as as is their rights. Um, their 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 agreement with Enbridge expired, and they have told Enbridge that they don't want them there anymore. And so the uh, a judge has given Enbridge the order that they must vacate the land within three years. But that's a pretty long time when you're talking about a river that's you know. 10 feet or less from an exposed pipeline. Like we're not talking about a pipeline that's buried, you know, 20 feet under the ground. Like it's rivers right there. And their proposed reroute would take it just south of the Bad River Band, which is upstream of the reservation. And again, we know how water works. It flows downhill. So if it spills on the reroute, then it just flows right into the Bad River Band reservation anyways. And then again, into the wild rice beds. And again, into Lake Superior. So it's it's not better. It's just different, I guess. And that 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 was a federal judge from a local circuit court, or I shouldn't say local mm -hmm. circuit court, but one of the circuit courts, right? So that could be. It's probably already maybe it already has. I haven't paid. I knew that the judge ruled that about the three years, but I don't know. Maybe it's already been appealed up to the Supreme Court, but it wouldn't. It's being me. appealed to the Seventh Circuit Court right now. Right now, okay. So we're we're watching and waiting to see what might happen. Um, yeah, so like you know, we're, even if even if the Bad River Band prevails and Enbridge does have to vacate their lands, then you know we we still got the question of the reroute. So. Right. You know, I am I am not a member of the Bad River Band, um, so I of course can't speak for them. But I am happy for them that they've had this this victory in getting it off their lands. But I'm also afraid of what this might mean for other people saying that we now need to fast track fast track this reroute, which would again continue to threaten them and their way of life. And the the segment of pipeline that is in question currently is it's 70 years old. It's very old. It's, it's been operating for decades longer than anticipated. And if the, the reroute goes in, that's just another 70 years of fossil fuels flowing. So it's essentially an entire, you know, extra generation reliant on these, these materials that are killing us all. And they're at the reroute is adding like 40 some miles of pipeline too, right? To Correct. go, to go around the reservation. So not only is it still, you know, going to pollute when it leaks, pollute the, the river, pollute the reservation, pollute the Great Lakes as a whole, it has a more, more of a chance because you're adding 40 miles of pipeline. It might be net like 30 or something, right? Because they're taking, they won't use the stuff on the reservation anymore. But at any rate, it's more pipeline than exists right now, even if they reroute it. So right. you just have a higher chance of polluting because you have more pipeline. Mm -hmm. Then where it goes through the Straits of Mackinac, uh, so across the Upper Peninsula and then crossing by the Bridge of Mackinac and then down to the Lower Peninsula of Michigan, um, where uh, Lakes Michigan and Huron meet, uh, it's literally just the pipeline is literally just sitting on the bottom of the lake there. It's already been hit by anchors. Um, the proposal is to make a, a 
tunnel, which when they say tunnel, we're not talking about, again, far underground. It's basically they're going to put the pipeline in a concrete tube. Uh, but I mean, it's the water is, is choppy there. It's uh, a spill there would be very, 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 very difficult to clean up. Um, it would, again, have an enormous impact on the local economy. And then right there where those two lakes meet is a really critical ecosystem that would have far-reaching impact for the rest of the Great Lakes again. So I guess I, I keep coming back to the Great Lakes, but, you know, here in Wisconsin, I, I think we all take pride in being a Great Lakes state. And um, I think the rest of the country and the rest of the world tends to forget how vital of a resource the Great Lakes are just for, uh, partially just for our ability to drink water, but beyond that, um, so many more important important things. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, in, in your time there, what has been your most effective organizing tech? And I guess that's kind of a broad question, but I guess more specifically, what has have you found to be the most effective way to get people together and maybe get people from different, um, different backgrounds, um, you know, I guess a, a diverse um, group to come out. I think um, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I think um, my work with the divestment campaign has been really interesting in drawing that clear connection in people's heads between their money in their checking account going to fossil fuel infrastructure. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that we do occasionally do sit-ins at, at banks. Um, and we are definitely not asking that of everybody. Like to, to participate in an arrestable action, uh, frankly, requires a fair amount of privilege. Like, you know, my, myself as an Asian American woman in a city like Madison, I am not particularly afraid that the cops are going to do something terrible to me. I'm not actually in fear of my life. At most, I am going to be paying a fine. Um, so we, you know, we're not asking that kind of commitment from, from anybody, really. But having people realize that going in to Chase Bank, taking their money out and moving it, you know, next door to a credit union or, or what have you, that is a very powerful way to send a signal to the banks that we don't want our money going to these kinds of things. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, switching your bank account, not, it's not the easiest thing in the world, it's kind of a pain in the butt, sure. but it's a very concrete action that has, has meaning. Um, I've also really learned a lot about, you know, intersectional organizing. So bringing together people from different causes, different organizations, different backgrounds to, to unite for a common goal. I think the, the climate and environmental movement has a, uh, frankly, pretty terrible history of, you know, manifesting white supremacy, going to community, to primarily BIPOC communities and saying, I don't know why you're worried about this when you really should be worried about like polar bears in the Arctic. Um, and working with frontline groups around the state to find, um, organizing and messaging solutions that work with their communities, uh, has been 
hugely rewarding. So again, I, I look at our work on online five. Um, and I think a lot of environmentalists look at pipeline work as like saving the planet. But if you're a person who lives in those frontline communities, it's not saving the planet. It's literally saving your life here and now. Like if something went bad were to happen, it's, it's much more local than just the climate. Um, I'm also interested uh, to, to see how we can form better alliances with, with labor unions. I think, um, the, the far right and, um, oil companies have been effective at pitting environmentalists against labor. Um, and, you know, because pipelines mean jobs, but, uh, Frankly, if line five were decommissioned and removed from the ground, that would create more jobs than putting the reroute in. Uh, and so I would like to see how, how we can be better about conveying that message. Like we are not coming for your job if you are a steel worker. We want to see, when we say just transition, we want to make sure that as we move towards sustainable energy, um, you know, a livable climate, that no one is left behind, including people in the oil and gas industry or industries adjacent to that. So, you know, going back to the Inflation Reduction Act, with this massive amount of federal funding coming our way, how can we use that to provide um, job opportunities? So that means job job training, um, all the investment we need to make sure that people have good paying union-backed jobs that are also safe and secure and also working for this better future that we all need. Uh, so I think um, looking forward to see how we can be better about working with labor on issues like this instead of letting ourselves be divided by by our opponents. For sure, for sure. And, you know, while all of the skills that, let's say, someone that works on a pipeline has or a steel worker that, that you know, helps create the pipeline, right, before it goes in, um, you know, while they aren't all universal skills for other trades and other things, I think there's plenty of, of similar things there that people can, can apply in, in other trades, they can apply in other jobs, you know, so it's not, it's not, I, I don't think it's necessarily as, well, I know it's not as bad as the right says, <laughs> obviously there are a bunch of grifters, but like, you know, it's, there is common ground there to find, right? And, and you know, whether it's steel workers, pipeline workers, electricians, um, you know, construction workers, things like that, there's there's definitely work and, and work that people can do it, to help in all those fields, right? Whether it, it could be fixing up old places instead of building new ones, right? Things like there's, there's plenty of things that can be done. Um, you know, it's just a matter of getting around that that uh, that stigma that gets attached to everybody that wants to uh, be an opponent of any really any forward progress, right? Oh well, if you if you do that, then you won't have a job, or if you do that, then you know so and so is gonna you know gonna have to move, and it's like I want to force people to move, but that's not necessarily gonna happen, right? So yeah, and, and I don't want to be you know glib or sound flippant when I'm saying oh you know just you, you build a pipeline, you can just change your job. Like I'm not, you right. know, I'm, I don't, that's not going to be easy. I'm aware. And, you know, it's going to require a lot of people to really pivot in their lives. 
And, um, you know, I'm not, I don't think anyone in the climate movement is necessarily happy about that. But, you know, at the end of the day, when climate catastrophe comes, it's really not going to matter what your job is. Um, right. That You know, and, and yeah, I, I agree with that sentiment, too. Like, I think anyone that that has a legitimate interest in pushing, pushing for a more sustainable climate, sustainable planet, sustainable practices understands that it has to be something that gets done together with other groups, right? because of of what we just talked about making sure people can still eat and and pay their bills and things like that so um you know and and to your point and to your point about it's not you know that we have to be worried about those things but at the end of the day if if there's a catastrophe it's not like you said it's not going to matter what your job is you, you there just won't be a jobs at all at some point right we we saw it happen in maui this summer Right, just unbelievable atrocities happening because of climate um, ignorance, really, or not even ignorance. Sometimes it's negligence on purpose, but you know, so there is a way to do it collectively. And I'm I'm really heartened to see how um, the environmental and climate movements are moving in a much more justice-oriented direction. You know, it it used to be a lot about like, oh individuals should buy an electric vehicle. Um, you know, these things that are, you know, important steps. If you, if you can afford to drive an electric vehicle, like great, please do so. Uh, but you know, these, these steps that the environmental and climate movements used to push were very much geared towards people who had the money or, you know, Oh, your home is flooding, uh, move inland because everybody can afford to pick up their lives and just move to a new state. Yeah, right. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, glad to see that we are moving in a direction where we are uplifting solutions that will work for everybody but particularly putting a focus on the people who can't afford to just pack up and move who can't afford to just you know overhaul their entire house um i'm I'm glad that we are moving in that direction and also recognizing that you know communities all approach the climate issue from from different angles you know, if you are a community who is struggling with a super high energy burden because your landlord won't update your insulation and you have leaky windows and your utility company is just gouging you for everything you're worth, you know, I, me talking at you about um, a pipeline isn't going to matter. It's it's how is this impacting you here and now um, and making that that connection for people in a way that that works for them and works for their community. Sure. Yeah. It's kind of, it's you, you mentioned it earlier, but it's, it's about thinking about the larger picture, but acting in your area and what, what you mm-hmm. can do. Right. And um, you know, sometimes people just aren't aware. So it's just a matter of, of talking to them and figuring out, you know, what their specific question might be about, you know, whatever issue and, and then moving forward from there. So yeah, that's good. Um, all right. So what are uh, some of your up and coming and or, I guess, fledgling campaigns uh, that you have going on right now? We are currently working hard uh, with uh, a coalition of other groups around the, the region and, and really the country to advance uh, a climate forward farm bill. Um, so for, for people who don't know, that's a, a bill that Congress passes every five years. 
it is a lot of money. Um, I think half a trillion dollars. Um, and that money is, I think the farm bill is a, a bad name for it. It's, it's not just farms. It's, uh, food, food benefits. So all SNAP benefits are funded by the farm bill. It's, uh, subsidies for commodities. So, um, subsidizing the corn and the soy that goes into biofuels that goes to cow feed, that kinds of things. Um, it's little tiny, tiny sliver, less than 1% of that goes to research into sustainable and regenerative agriculture solutions. Um, so it's, it's a very large spending package. Uh, the, the version that was passed in 2018 expired on September 30th, 2023. Uh, and that's going to be a problem because, you know, come the end of the calendar year without a renewal of the farm bill, all that funding is going to be in question. And, um, so that, that, again, that means implications for anybody who depends on SNAP to, to eat. And, um, you know, that's just the funding aside. That's a separate question is whether Republicans will put a bunch of hoops you have to jump through in place, like prove that you aren't on drugs or that you're applying for jobs. So basically justify your right to eat food. Uh, so that's, that's a completely separate question. Um, but what we would like to see is what would, what would it look like if a farm bill was climate and justice centric? So making food accessible to everybody who needs it, uh, without, you know, damaging their dignity, essentially, without questioning their rights as a human being. Um, but also, you know, there's a reason why you go to the store and Doritos are cheaper than vegetables, the corn subsidies. So what would it look like if these healthy foods were subsidized and made more affordable, uh, better, better returns for the local growers who produce these things? Um, I've also heard plenty of climate advocates in the past say things like, if you want to support a healthy climate, you shop at Whole Foods because they grow their food. Their food is organic. Um, that's great. Uh, I don't know if Everybody who listens to your podcast has ever shopped at Whole Foods. It's a very expensive place to do your grocery shopping. Yeah. So I, I think going into a lower or even middle income community and saying, if you cared about the planet, you shop at Whole Foods. That's, that's, that's wrong. Yeah. But like, what if those organic, sustainably produced vegetables that are good for people, good for the planet, what if they were affordable? What if it didn't have to be you went and spent your whole paycheck at Whole Foods? Right. Uh, and, you know, then thereby also supporting the small scale family farmers, um, not forcing them to go into large scale industrial agriculture for a living. And, um, because we've, you know, we've seen time and time again that this large scale industrial agriculture, it, it ruins the land. It sends carbon into the atmosphere because the soil can't hold the carbon anymore. It wastes ridiculous amounts of water. And it's just ultimately not healthy for literally anybody except for like big agribusiness. So is there anything else uh, you'd like to talk about? I think um, so since I've been involved with 350 Wisconsin, um, you know, again, starting as a volunteer and then eventually as a board member, then staff and now co-executive direct director, I have been so 
gratified to be a part of um, our process of integrating climate justice into every part of who we are as an organization. I think um, a lot of times when corporations or other nonprofits, you know, say that they're looking at diversity, equity, inclusion, it's, you know, they'll, they'll do a survey and they'll slap it on their website. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's not enough. And we still as an organization have a long way to go, but I'm, I'm proud of how far we've come and we are, you know, actively working to make it so that anybody who wants to act for a livable climate has a role in our organization. So we don't want there to be any barriers participation. You know, as long as you are willing to uh, come to some Zoom meetings or fill out a, a survey or submit a comment or get more deeply involved, we want um, everybody involved because, again, this is a, a fight for all of our lives. Uh, it impacts everybody. Um, and so we just want anybody who wants to be a part of that to, to join us. Excellent. Um, and for the listeners, if they want to keep in touch with what uh, what you guys are up to, where can they find that information? We have a website, which is 350 Wisconsin. So spelled out 350-W-I-S-C-O-N-S-I-N.org. Uh, we are also on Facebook as 350 Wisconsin and Instagram. And um, I refuse to call it X. The the platform formerly known as Twitter. Bird app. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We also do have a, a sister organization called 350 Wisconsin Action. So the website for that is 350wisconsinaction.org. And that is where we do more electoral type work. Um, so as everybody in Wisconsin knows, 2024 is right around the corner. It's going to be a long, long year for well, everybody in the U.S., but especially for those of us in Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, so looking forward to how we can... Uh, promote climate champions um, at every level of government possible. Excellent. All right. Well, Emily, uh, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's been a pleasure. Um, and, uh, you know, hope to see you out there. I know we've got some uh, common, uh, got some common ties in the background that the listeners might not know about yet, but if they listen to all the episodes, they probably will. Okay. <laughs> but That's cool. uh, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah. It's, uh, so yeah, like I said, thank you. And, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for everything you're doing to, again, I, I feel like there's so much divide and conquer among, you know, our groups from the, from the right. So thank you for everything you're doing to bring us together and, and <laughs> keep us as a cohesive, uh, progressive movement. Important. That does it for the show. Don't forget to rate and review on whichever platform you use to listen. Special thanks to Nick Josephs for the use of the theme song. You can find Nick on Spotify and on the web at nickjosephs.com. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. If you'd like to support the show, you can subscribe on patreon.com slash voices from the left or donate on buymeacoffee.com slash voices from the left. All the links will be in the show notes. Thanks for listening and solidarity.